Amen. Well, hell is real, and Jesus isn't coming back yet. That's the title of today's message. We're in the book of 2 Thessalonians. Hell is real, and y'all know that because it's 118 degrees outside right now, and you're like, yeah, we believe hell is real. Um, you ain't seen nothing yet as if you, if you study God's word about hell, by the way. And I just want to say, good job, everyone who braved the heat, you know, and in other climates, it's braving the snow and the sleet and the rain and, and the cold and all that, but good job braving the heat. Coming in here, the air conditioning is working beautifully this morning. Y'all hopefully, you know, turned your ACs up a little bit. You're saving a little bit of money at home as, as we're enjoying this time together in this wonderful room. But hell is real. And Jesus isn't coming back yet. And I imagine I have everybody's attention. These are two of the primary messages that we're going to discover as we read through the book of 2 Thessalonians. Uh, soon after writing his first letter, Paul writes again to the believers in Thessalonica and believes that it appears as though some things were cleared up from his first letter and they kind of got it. Yeah, awesome. Um, but then there's some things that Paul just wanted to reiterate. One of the things was encouragement. He just wanted to continue to encourage the believers there that, hey, your faith is strong. Good job. Good job pers persevering through the persecution. Stay strong in the Lord. The rest of us are watching you, and we're cheering you on. Well done, believers in Thessalonica. But another topic, in addition to persecution, that Paul once again covers his end times. He once again wants to encourage the believers about the return of Jesus and kind of how it's going to all go down. So welcome back to Mission 27. How many of you are enjoying the journey through 27 books of the New Testament? Come on, it's powerful. This, this is, this is a, a wonderful time in the life of, of Evident Life Church as we're doing the Second Thessalonians. That's where we are today. It's short. I know some of you are like, finally, we got a short book. You know what I'm saying? Not one of those, you know, two-hour type reads, right? This is like a 10-minute read through 2 Thessalonians. It's short, but it's intense. This is an intense letter. I get to preach some fire and brimstone this morning. Come on, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So I just want to say buckle up, buttercup, all right? Buckle up, because here we go. We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about end times. This is going to be... This is going to be good. It's going to be good. By the way, I love intense topics. If you know me, you understand that. I'm kind of an intense guy. I enjoy intensity. And um, that's a good thing because God's really intense. I hope you realize that. I mean, just look at the way he created the earth and everything in it. That, that was pretty intense. Spoken, bam, things happen. It's pretty intense how we dealt with humanity, the flood, for instance. That was pretty intense. Sending his son. Stepping down from heaven, putting on flesh, walking among us, fully God, fully man. That's intense. That's, that's not taking shortcuts. That's not, that's not just kind of going through the motions type of things. That's not how God is. God is intense, going to the cross, taking upon himself our sins, dying, being resurrected, ascending. And coming back. God is intense. And when you read his word, it's intense. And if you 
If you don't think the Bible is an exciting book, then you're not reading it. You've just kind of got little bits and pieces of it. You haven't read it. God is intense, and I love intensity. And point number one is intense. Hell is real. Hell is real. Again, he encouraged these believers in Thessalonica. He's saying, good job. Your faith is strong. You're enduring the persecution. It's increasing, but your faith is also increasing. But then Paul drops this truth bomb. How many of you know Paul's good at dropping truth bombs? He's good at it. How many of you know we need it? We need it. You know, so often I'll be going through life, and I'll think everything's just, as they say, hunky-dory. That's a corny little statement, but everything's just great, right? And all of a sudden, one day I'm in the Word of God, and a truth bomb hits me and blows up my little, you know, perfect world that I think I'm living in. And God shows up and says, hey, it's a little different than the way you're seeing it. So here's a truth bomb. Hell is real. Verse 5 of chapter 1. All this, meaning all this persecution, all this craziness that's going on in the world. How many of you think craziness is happening still? It's happening still. And all this craziness, all this darkness, all this insanity, and even persecution, Paul says all of that stuff is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be, speaking to the faithful, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And maybe that encouraged somebody today who's suffering. I hope it did. Verse 6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And he'll give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He's not coming back as a baby in a manger, folks. Okay? He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. That's intense. Here's the truth bomb. It goes like this. There's trouble coming for the unbeliever. There's trouble coming for the unbeliever. And that shouldn't, that shouldn't have us sitting here going, yeah, there's trouble coming. About time. No. That should have our hearts stirred with compassion. We should be stirred with the reality that people need Jesus like now. Because there's trouble coming for the unbeliever. But there's relief for the believer. How many of you need some relief? Amen? Yeah, I saw some hands go up. Yeah. There's relief coming. That's a promise. 
We sang that. I just remember those lyrics. There will be a day. I was a bass player, so I don't remember any more of the lyrics than that. But, but there will be a day. If you're a bass player, you understand that. We don't know words. You know, we just, we just do our thing. But there will be a day. Relief is coming for the believer. There's punishment coming for the unbeliever. But there's eternal presence, the eternal presence of God coming for the believer. That's our prize, y'all. That's our prize, to be in the presence of God forever. You see, we're not looking forward to an escape. We're looking forward to entering into the promise of being face-to-face with God forever. That's the prize. That's what we're looking forward to. We, we need to get it out of our, of our short-term fleshly minds, uh, 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 this whole escape thing. We're looking forward to the presence of God forever and ever. He is our prize. He is what we're looking forward to. And that day is coming. That day is coming. And there is hell for the unbeliever. And we just read this. There's a special place in hell for those who persecute Christians. You know that saying, there's a special place in hell for that guy. Well, there is a special place in hell for those who persecute Christians. Again, verse 6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Romans 12, 19 reminds us, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Hebrews 10.31, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But most people in the world, they're not thinking that way, y'all. They're not. Back in 2014, that was a long time ago. That was nine years ago, if I'm doing my math correctly. Again, remember, I'm a bass player, right? So anyway, I don't know why I'm going there with that. But back in 2014, so things are, do you think things are, are, are better now than they were back in 2014, or maybe they're a little more messed up today, maybe a little more lost today. I think they're probably a little more lost today than than things were even nine years ago. But in 2014, a Pew Research poll found that 29% of Catholics didn't believe in hell, didn't believe it exists. And you're like, oh, those Catholics, I can't believe those Catholics, right? Well, 11% of evangelicals, the same thing. 40% of mainline Protestants said they didn't believe in the existence of hell. How can that be? They don't read the Bible, right? Pretending something doesn't exist doesn't make it go away. And I know we do that in life often, don't we? You know, the stock market's all messy, it's going down, and we just pretend it's not, nothing's happening, and so we just leave everything the same, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Some of you are like that, right? Pretending something doesn't exist doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because we don't want something to be true doesn't mean that it's not true. Here's what God's Word has to say about the punishment in hell that's going to happen. In Matthew 25:41, it speaks of hell as eternal fire. Matthew 3, it's unquenchable fire. It's shame and everlasting contempt, Daniel 12, 2 says. 
It's a place where the fire is not quenched, Mark 9. A place of torment and fire, Luke 16. A place of everlasting destruction. That's 2 Thessalonians 1.9. A place where the smoke of torment rises forever and ever, Revelation 14.10 and 11. And a lake of burning sulfur where the wicked are tormented day and night forever and ever, Revelation 20. These are just some mentions of hell and what it will be like. Hell is real. And there are people who are going there because they don't believe, because they've rejected the gospel of Jesus. We live in a world where I think that that we, we have this mentality that we can kind of ride the fence. There's this middle ground, the moderates, right? You got the extreme conservatives, extreme liberals. I don't know why I'm going there with this political stuff right now. But we do. We live in a world where, well, I'm a moderate. I'm an independent. I'm kind of right in the middle and all that stuff. Beloved, as it relates to eternity, there's a fork in the road, and there's only two directions. There's only two destinations in the end. You're either with Him or you're not. There's heaven, which is eternally being with God, and then there's hell, which is eternally being separated from God. That's it. Eternally with God, eternally separated from God. And both of those are very, very different. Hell is real. Those who reject the gospel of Jesus will spend eternity there. And my prayer is, is that this is motivating people to share Jesus with others. It should never cause a Christian to gloat. It shouldn't even cause us to go, whew, I'm glad I'm on the right side. And I'm going to get back to life. No, it should, it should stir up a heart of compassion, a heart of Christ, who would step down from heaven, leave his place of glory, and put on flesh and endure everything in order to rescue. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Furthermore, ignoring the topic of hell does a couple things. It cheapens the cross. When believers pretend hell doesn't exist or, or kind of talk it down like it's no big deal, it cheapens what Christ has done for us and how far he went for us. And it cheapens the resurrection. I want to wrap up this first point about hell is real with the words of the late, great Billy Graham. And he says this. He says, yes, hell is real. But God doesn't want you to go there. I want to stop just there for a moment. Do we understand that? Hell is real, but God doesn't want people to go there. Did you, God did not create humanity to live in hell. God created humanity to walk with Him in the cool of the day, to know Him, to enjoy Him forever. That's why we were created. He created us to never even die, let alone be separated from Him. That's what sin did. That's the result of sin. God didn't knit anybody together in their mother's womb 
for damnation, for hell. He knit us together in our mother's womb for relationship with him. Again, Billy Graham said, yes, hell is real, but God doesn't want you to go there. This is why he provided a way for us to be with him in heaven forever by sending his son into the world to die for our sins. Don't ignore hell's reality, but most of all, don't ignore God's love for you. Meaning, don't ignore the gospel. Receive what Jesus did for you. And step in to God's plan and desire for you. And that is to be with him forever. Believers, we have a hope. We're saved. Our future is secure in Christ. And I hope you live every single day out of that reality. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. Anyone who's in Christ, a new creation, come on now. We're saved. We're being saved and we will be saved because of what Christ has done. And if, if we truly have a changed heart, then our changed heart is going to have a heart of compassion for others and we're going to be, we can't help but share this good news with others. We're going to do a lot more of that here at Evident Life Church. In our last elders meeting, man, this whole thing of, of evangelism and the whole call that we have to share the good news of Jesus with others was just like blowing up in our, in our last elders meeting. And I'm just believing we're going to see some opportunity, some encouragement, um, and some discipleship in that coming here in the fall very, very shortly. So again, buckle up. Let's be the church. It's going to be good. All right, Paul then pivots to discussing another topic. That's a little bit of a, a little bit intense. It's a topic they talked about in his first letter to the Thessalonians, and that is the topic of the end times. So 2 Thess Thessalonians is short, but it talks about hell. And then it, it pivots, and he, he speaks of end times. What's going to happen? When's it going to happen? Point number two, Jesus isn't coming back yet. I wanted to wait longer, but some of you were just about ready to blow up just because I just, I, so yet, 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 yet. Could Christ return at any moment? Well, my guess is this. You don't need an answer. Let me, let, me, let me preach this first from 2 Thessalonians before everybody just starts jumping with an answer on this, okay? All right. My guess is most evangelicals today would respond, of course, Jesus could come back at any moment. After all, this has become the most popular belief among Christians over the last 200 years. And I would say that many of you might consider an answer, no, Jesus will not come back at any moment. You might even consider that borderline heresy. So here is your local heretic today, um, <laughs> reading 2 Thessalonians, and um, we're going we're gonna to see what God has to say. When we, when we dive into the Word of God, we get a lot of clarity on a lot of things. And I know that this whole end time stuff, it seems so mysterious, and it seems so, you know, like, wow, there's, there's so much that we don't understand, we don't know. But, beloved, I want to tell you what, when you get into the Word of God, you, you start to realize there is so much that we do have. There's so much that we do know. 
There's so much that God has shared with us when we read his word. You remember that it was, what, about a year, year and a half ago? I don't remember. Um, I'm getting old. Things, time flies. So it might have been five years ago, but it feels like five months ago. But I preached through Matthew chapter 24. And it was Jesus answering that age-old question, the million-dollar, well, now billion-dollar, a million isn't enough anymore, the billion-dollar question of, when are you coming back? How's it all going to go down at the end of the age? And I'm like, if we're going to ever look for answers of, of the end times, I would say, let's start with Jesus' answer to that question, and let's build our end times theology around that. And so... Um, Could Jesus return at any moment? It might surprise you to hear me suggest that not only does the teaching, that teaching have little or no biblical evidence, but it appears as though the Bible actually teaches the opposite. Jesus isn't coming back yet. He isn't. And before you walk out on me, which I'm just grateful nobody's walked out, and don't turn off the live stream or whatever, it's all good, it's going to be good. Um, I 100% believe, and I pray that you do too, 100% believe in the imminence of Christ's return. What does that mean, the imminent return of Jesus? What does that mean, imminent mean? It means the guaranteed, for sure, return of Jesus. That's what imminent means. It means it's going to happen. It's a guarantee. You can take it to the bank. God is not a liar. His return is imminent. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. Jesus is coming back. Can I get an amen? amen? He's coming back. But the imminent return of Jesus isn't the same thing as the any moment return. It's not the same thing. And to believe in the imminent return of Jesus does not necessitate to believe in the any moment return of Jesus. Let's return to 2 Thessalonians. I want scripture to talk to us here, right? You see, someone wrote a fake letter claiming to be Paul to the Thessalonians. It was, it was like an old school version of a deep fake or something like that, right? Somebody wrote a fake letter to the Thessalonians. They apparently said that they were the apostle Paul, and so Paul calls them out, and it just has to do with, with the return of Jesus. That's what, they were, that's what this person was, was trying to deceive this church in Thessalonica over. And so Paul calls them out. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by what? By the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. How many of you know the devil's a liar? Yeah. That's what he does. That's really his primary, you know, weapon. That's, that's about all he has. He can lie. He did it in the Garden of Eden. He lied. They bought the lie. Hell on earth. That's what we got, right? Devil comes to Jesus in the wilderness. What does he do? All he can do is lie. Jesus doesn't fall for the lie. Because he knows he's a deceiver. Uh-uh, I'm not going to fall for that. But he's still lying. He's still lying. And if he can get the church to believe something that isn't true, and therefore get the church to act in a way that, that God's not prescribed for them to act, he wins, right? He accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. The devil is a liar. 
from the Garden of Eden to today. You know what? I, I, I thought about this as I, was, as I was going through this morning, just my notes. Back in the day, this is how much things have changed. Back in the day, I went to public school. I went to Mount Vernon Township High School. All right, it was like the high school for the whole county because we had a bunch of small towns in Jefferson County and Southern Illinois, but we had about 1,300, 1,400 people in the high school, but it was from all over the place. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The deal is this. In choir, we sang this song. It's called Elijah Rock. I can't believe we sung this in a public school. And some of the lyrics go like this. Satan's a liar and a conjure too. If you don't watch out, he'll conjure you. And then it goes on, if I could, I surely would just stand on the rock where Moses stood. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. But, but we were singing that truth in a public school in southern Illinois back in the day, back in the 80s. That's right, the 80s, man, look out. That's when, anyway, that's when men were men and you know what I'm saying. But anyway, the devil's a liar and a conjurer too. And if you don't watch out, he'll conjure you. He'll try, to, he'll try to mess up truth just enough to get us, get us off track. And here's how Paul corrects these end times deceptions. He says this in verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, meaning the return of Jesus, that day will not come until, until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. In other words, Jesus hasn't come back and Jesus won't come back until some specific and noticeable things happen first. Most notably, Jesus won't come back until after this dude, this man of lawlessness, aka the Antichrist, comes and leads his rebellion. And I mean, there's nutty stuff going on right now. And there's some evil people and evil stuff going on. I haven't watched that movie yet that's out, what's it called, Sound of Freedom? But there's some sickness in our world. You know, for years, we, we've done five years, we've done this thing called Night of Hope. A group of us, churches here, primarily in the East Valley, Night of Hope, all pushing back, shining a light on this whole issue of human trafficking. Y'all, you, you look, <laughs> it's, it's sick. This world is sick. And as sick as this world is and as evil as there have been men and women who've walked on this earth, who've done evil things, we've yet to see the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, actually appear and take his place on the world stage at the level that Scripture says that he will. This hasn't happened yet, so the return of Christ remains imminent. His return is guaranteed. He's coming back, but it's not at any moment. Because even as Paul has just reminded the church in Thessalonica, it's going to happen, but not until after the man of lawlessness is revealed. Matthew chapter 24, I mentioned that earlier, verses 4 through 14. Jesus identifies four general signs that will precede his return in the end of the age. What are they and have they happened? What are they and have they happened? Disasters and destruction are one of them. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8. 
disasters and destruction. But he's not talking about just any kind of, oh, climate change type stuff is going on, you know, and this is horrible. And so Jesus is coming back. No, he's talking about, and they're explained in more detail in Revelation, where it talks about a third of the earth being burned up and a third of the people dying. I mean, that, that, that's like apocalyptic. That, that's, that's kind of what, what we're discussing here. I know we think that the world is as bad as it's ever been. And frankly, from the day that man sinned, it was as bad as it's ever been, and it continues to be as bad as it's ever been. And we think that right now it's the worst of the worst. You all read some history, okay? Read some history. This world is sick right now. It's been sick for a long time. Jesus is coming back. He will make all things new. But God has given us some understanding of how it's all going to go down and when it's all going to go down. Not the day, not the hour, but some understanding of all of this. So disasters and destructions in Matthew uh, 24, 9 through 10, he talks about different distresses, meaning persecution of all nations. Every believer in every nation will be persecuted. And I'm not talking about, oh, they, they, they locked my social media account. I'm being persecuted. I'd like for you to talk to some of the believers in other parts of this world who are undergoing real persecution. That's the kind of persecution Jesus is talking about will happen in every nation before his return. Deception, meaning false saviors, false prophets. There is a false prophet that is coming. The one spoken of in Scripture. Distributed gospel, meaning the gospel preached all. These are all things that Jesus, in answering the question, hey, when are you coming back? When's it all going down? He lays these things out for the believer very clearly, very succinctly. Paul Knowing the teaching of Jesus, teaching the teaching of Jesus reminds the believers in Thessalonica, y'all, come on, remember, don't believe that fake, deceitful stuff, that letter that they said was for me. You know what we've taught. We taught what Jesus taught. There's some things that got to go down before Christ returns. The man of lawlessness being one of them has to show up first. So based on what Jesus told us about the signs of the end of the age, I'm going to argue that, that we may be past the beginning. I mean, we may be halfway through at most, but, but, it, but it's not all happened yet. There's still many things that got to happen before Jesus returns. So there's two approaches that get Christians in trouble related to end times. I want to talk about those. Number one is they don't pay any attention to the return of Jesus. La, la, la. I don't want to think about that. It's going to all work itself out in the end. Whatever. I got life to live right now. Really? Okay, don't pay any attention. When you read scripture, you read that the church is a group of people who are looking forward to the return of Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. Those who are part of the bride are looking forward to the return of their bridegroom. They're looking forward to the wedding day. They can't wait for it. They want to speed it up. We're told to be alert, to have our oil ready. You don't want to be like one of those five virgins, right, that, 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 that weren't ready because they just figured, whatever, it's all going to happen. However God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. I don't need to worry about any of that stuff. I don't need to press into the Lord. I don't need to think about any of those kind of God things, the future kind of stuff. Come on now. Scripture says, no, no, no. 
That's what you should be thinking about. And y'all, when we do think about that stuff, that's when we get excited and we walk in joy instead of despair. Because we get our minds fixed on the imminent return of Christ. We got our minds fixed on Jesus. We got our eyes fixed on Jesus. Where, where are we looking? We're looking to the hills where our hope comes from. It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, you get yourself away from this kind of stuff and you get yourself to this, man. That's the life of a believer. So don't fall for that thing of whatever's gonna, whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera. You know? The other problem is this, though. In their zeal for their return, some people, some people get so excited about the return of Jesus. And I've got to say, I don't think you can get too excited. Okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't think you can get too excited about the return of Jesus. But sometimes in our excitement, we can do some, some foolish things. We just can. You know, sometimes when I get excited about stuff, I, I spill my milk. You know, you ever did that as a kid? You get all excited and, oh, man, I was with, I was with Gary Kinneman um, on Thursday after our, our board of directors meeting. We're sitting in my office and we're drinking some coffee and talking. And uh, Pastor Gary was my pastor for years, and he's a, a non-voting member of our board here and, and just a great, great valuable asset to us as a church. And so we're in there drinking coffee. He doesn't put a lid on his coffee. And then he puts the coffee, like, on the, the sidearm of the couch. And, you know, he gets excited sometimes, and he'll start talking with his hands, kind of like I do. And I'm just thinking about, oh, my goodness. In his zeal, there could be a real problem here. You know what I'm saying? He could do something he doesn't necessarily want to do. So I finally just had to say, Gary, I can't concentrate right now. I am very uneasy. You need to move your coffee. I can't handle this, man. And that's what I did. I said, I can't handle it, man. I, <laughs> you got to move your coffee. And he moves it to the other side. He says, okay. I said, no, you got to put it on the table, man. You can't do this to me. You can't do this. In our zeal, we can get excited and, and things can happen in our zeal. It just happens, man. And some people in their zeal for Jesus to come back, Want it so badly that they're just like, he can come, he'll come back anytime, anytime, right now, right now. And, and because he, he's going to come back at any time, then, then, then I don't have to think about this other stuff. I don't have to do this other stuff. I don't, have to, I don't have to be responsible over here. I don't have to be responsible over there. Jesus can come back at any moment. Blow it all, all the other stuff off. And in that, there's coffee all over the place, and, and it's just a mess. Life becomes a mess. Forgetting to read Scripture, which clearly lays out the visible events that got to happen, that must happen before Jesus returns. So there's this thing called the apocalyptic view. The apocalyptic view. It's actually the biblical view. Theologically, that's what it's called, the apocalyptic view. It happens to be the view that's presented in, in the book of Daniel. It's an apocalyptic view. It's the view that's presented in Matthew chapter 24 by Jesus, an apocalyptic view. It's the view that Paul presents in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. It's an apocalyptic view. It's the view, it's a perspective that is laid out in the book of Revelation. How many of you love the book of Revelation? I love it, by the way. I love it. I don't get caught up in the stuff I don't know, but I get caught up in the fact that it's a revelation of Jesus. It's revealing Jesus and his love for his church. He's coming back. All right? But it's an apocalyptic view. What does that mean? It means that there's some bad things that are going to happen before Jesus returns. 
And the bad culminates in something we see throughout all of these different areas of Scripture. It culminates in the Antichrist world dictator who says, There's no law except my will and I am God. That's, this, that's, that's the dude that, 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 that the man of lawlessness that Paul's talking about to the Thessalonians. It's going to come. And his rule is going to be ugly. There's an unholy trinity. Heard it presented this way by a pastor. There's this unholy trinity that's going to take over the world. The trinity is the devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet. It's a satanic substitute for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Scripture lays this out. This is what's going to happen on this earth. So what's the danger of wrongly thinking Jesus is coming back tomorrow? Well, many believers over the ages have thought this and have done some foolish things. They've spilled a lot of coffee all over the place in their zeal and excitement for that. Things like they quit their jobs. They didn't get married. They didn't have children. They didn't take care of what they needed to take care of. They weren't good stewards of what God had given them. They sold everything, went into the middle of a field, just sat there and they waited. And, or worse, they joined some kind of crazy cult and ended up drinking the Kool-Aid, like literally. People have done some crazy, foolish things as they adopt some, some beliefs that, that maybe aren't exactly what we're supposed to believe. And this happened to the Thessalonians. And they forgot that waiting is active. Waiting for Jesus to come back isn't a passive thing. You don't just sit around a campfire and sing kumbaya and let everything else just go to hell in a handbasket. Waiting for Jesus is active. It's being salt and light. It's ministry. It's being responsible. It's working. It's taking care of your family, y'all. It's working hard doing whatever job God has given you to pay the bills and doing it as unto the Lord. It's praying. It's being faithful to your wife. It's raising your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Man, it's all this kind of stuff. That's what waiting looks like. It's sharing the gospel of Jesus with everyone that you can. And it's being excited through the whole process. Why? Because the return of Christ is imminent. It's a for sure guaranteed thing. It's going to happen. And it looks like those, some of the believers in Thessalonica might have been embracing this any moment return. Obviously, they received this deceitful letter saying it's already happened. So, whoa, let's just do whatever. And it's interesting that right after Paul talks about that, he goes into talking about how, hey, some of y'all aren't working anymore. Why y'all quitting your jobs? Why are you idle? What's up with that? And so that's where Paul goes with this. And so let's pick it up in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Verse 10, jumping down there. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. How many of you know people like that? Yeah, look out. 
Some people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. God doesn't reward people who do not work, and neither should we. God doesn't reward people who are lazy. Neither should we. And we got to remember something. Work is not less than. It's not. Work is not a curse. If you don't know my boss, well, I'm not talking about my boss, my boss, whatever. Anyway, but you know what I'm saying? Work is not a curse. You know there was work before the fall? God put man on this earth. He put us here. And he told us to work it. He told us to, to steward it. There were jobs that Adam and Eve even had before the fall happened. There was work to be done. Work is not a curse. Some aspects of work, yeah, you could say are a result of the curse. But work itself is not a curse. Work was given to man before the fall. It's the primary way that so many of us glorify God. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And then the Bible reminds us that laziness is a sin. Proverbs 19.15, Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Now, we're not talking about people who cannot work. There are people who are unable to work. And Scripture talks about that and talks about how that's where, that's where the church shows up. And that's where we help one another out, help a brother, help a sister out. But the Bible here, and Paul is talking about those, it's not who cannot work, but who will not work. That's an idle person. And we should never use God as an excuse to not work. At Evident Life Church, we, we do a homeless ministry here. We have ever since we purchased this building. It's been 10 years now. And it's one of the first ways we decided to serve our community for those who are struggling in this area of homelessness. One of the things about the program, though, is obviously we, we provide a place for them to sleep that's air-conditioned, that's out of the elements. We provide cots for them to sleep on. We, we, we give them we give them a meal for dinner. We give them a sack lunch for the next day, even, even a, a small breakfast for the next day. We really take care of our guests well. But the program that we're involved in, this iHelp program we're involved in, isn't, isn't a handout. It's not to reward people who are idle and people who will not work. It's to help those people who are ready to do the next right thing and just need some help. Just need some help. We don't reward laziness. It's also not how we, we handle our benevolence program here at Evident Life Church. By the way, we have a benevolence program. If you find yourself in need, contact us. We're here to help one another. We're here to care for one another. But we're not going to subsidize laziness. Just being real. I can say that because Paul just talked about that, okay? See, that's a great thing. When you just teach through the Bible, you get to, you get to say some things that, you know, people will be like, I can't believe that pastor is saying that. Well, I'm just reading the Bible. 
So waiting for Jesus for his return is active. It's active waiting. It's working hard. It's providing for your family. It's working as unto the Lord. It's being good stewards with everything the Lord has given you, the gifts he's given you, the job he's given you, the finance he's given you, the, the family he's given you, all that he's given you. Being a good steward of that, taking care of those things as unto the Lord, as, as, as God would take care of them. And God cares more about how we do our job than, than what job we're doing. And I, I heard a, a pastor say, God would rather have a conscientious taxi driver than a careless missionary. I'm going to tell you right now, there's some of you here who glorify God a lot more with the work that you do than, than some that are in quote-unquote full-time ministry. And by the way, everyone in here is in full-time ministry. Every single one of us are ministers of the gospel of Jesus. And God has planted us in a mission field. In the neighborhood that we live in, in the job that we have, the people that God surrounds us with. That's our mission field. Every one of us is in full-time ministry. And there's some of y'all that, that are driving a taxi and ministering is unto the Lord a whole lot better than some people who quote-unquote say that they're in full-time ministry. That's all I'm saying. Psalm 90, 17 says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. May it establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's stand up as we close. I'm going to end with this. The return of Jesus is imminent. It's a guaranteed thing. Jesus is coming back. How are we going to be waiting for him? That's the question. That's the question. Are we going to be busy doing his work? Being faithful, doing the next right thing, sharing the gospel with people because hell is real. I know we will. There's a common phrase in many of Jesus' parables where he says he was a long time coming. He was a long time coming. It's that delay that is really what's testing us. As we're waiting for him to come, who will we be? Will we be like those in Thessalonica who are full of faith, enduring persecution, being the hands and feet of Jesus, sharing the gospel, remaining strong in a culture that was very much an antichrist culture, remaining faithful to the Lord? I believe that's who we are and that's who we will be. Things are messy in the world that we live in right now. The world needs a church, needs us to be waiting for Jesus faithfully, full of faith, full of compassion, full of love, full of hope, full of joy, full of peace, full of truth, confidence in who Christ is. As the ministers are coming forward, I want to just speak this passage from 2 Thessalonians 3.16 over us. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Isn't that beautiful?
This can be our reality. This should be our reality as we faithfully wait for the return of our Savior, Jesus. Let's just pray. Lord, we come to you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that that you've spoken to us. God, that we don't have to wonder about everything. That you've given us your word. You've given us truth. God, I ask that as as each one of us are are in the word, as we're going through these 27 books of the New Testament, Lord God, that you would stir up in us faith. God, that we would become those who are more and more excited to be walking with you, to being your ambassadors on this hurting earth that we live on. Lord, I pray for this congregation this week that you would give us opportunities to be the ministers of the gospel that you have called us to be, Lord. God, that we would have eyes to see the hurting and the needy, that we would have hearts filled with compassion, that we would pray for the sick, that we would share truth and hope with the lost. God, that we would be your hands and feet, Christians, followers of Jesus, 